are listening to Particular Pilgrims, stories from Reformed Baptist history with commentary. I'm your host, Ron Miller, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church of Clarksville, Tennessee, and a longtime student and collector of Particular Baptist history. We're on the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. Recently, we asked for your questions about 17th century Particular Baptist church life. We received the following query. If a 17th century Particular Baptist walked into and worshipped in a 21st century confessional Reformed Baptist church, would he recognize it? Would he be at home there? Or in other words, what similarities and differences in polity, worship, practice, preaching, shepherding, etc. are there between 17th century particular Baptist churches and 21st century confessional Reformed Baptist churches? I began to answer that interesting question last week and continue by looking next at who attended and what the worship service looked like. So who attended particular Baptist worship services? The members of the church were, of course, regularly in attendance. There often were more women than men members, sometimes in a ratio of about two to one. But unless ill or hindered by providence, they typically were at every worship service. An Anglican visitor to a Baptist service in London in 1689 remarked that, quote, they have many older men and women of their way. Perhaps the years of persecution had convinced the younger ages to conform. This man regularly visited dissenting meetings and remarked that the Baptist worshipers compared to the Quakers were, quote, persons of some better quality and garb, using laces, etc., but modestly. Naturally, he considered the churchgoers at the state services to be at the highest level. During certain periods of the 17th century, there would have been few to no non-members in worship. This is because in the early 1640s, and between the time the monarchy was restored in 1660 until toleration in 1689, the pursuit and prosecution of illegal worship would have been an effective deterrent to casual attenders. The heavy fines, which could quickly ruin a person financially or even lead to death in prison, meant that few uncommitted people found worship with the particular Baptists to be worth the risk. At times, the churches had to be wary of visitors they didn't know. Some were paid informers for the government. In London, during the mid-1680s, a group of 40 thugs called the Hilton Gang terrorized the dissenting churches. They were highly organized, and their work was summarized by one historian as follows. The gang infiltrated the dissenters' meetings, laid information against them, secured warrants, gave evidence in court, and when fines were not paid, broke down their doors and seized and sold their goods. The incentive for all this was a law which handsomely paid informants with one-third of the fines handed out for illegal worship. This, of course, contributed to false accusations and blackmail. 
the leader of the Hilton gang became rich and even printed his own newspaper bragging about the success of his perfectly legal thuggery. Occasionally, the local bishop, mayor, or their enforcers would come at the times of worship. But this was not to participate, but to break up the meetings. Their purpose was to awe the congregants into submission, but this doesn't seem to have ever been effective. In the times without this persecution, such as after toleration came, some of the particular Baptist churches had large numbers of non-members at their services. These attendees were often referred to as hearers. Some of these would have been the unsaved curious, but most were probably sincere Christians who leaned toward the dissenting position yet didn't have the courage or conviction to leave the social safety of the state church. Some of the most popular preachers like Hansard Knowles and Benjamin Keach had a few hundred members hearing them in worship, but many hundreds more hearers. Both are reported to have regularly preached at times to crowds of upwards of a thousand. Hearers were generally welcome at worship, but were dismissed when the church conducted its business. These were closed meetings in part because they often included cases of discipline. But what was the worship service itself like? In summary, it was simple, not ornate, complex, or with built-in distractions. A pastor or elder led worship whenever possible. It was not a shared duty, except at times when the pastor couldn't lead due to illness or imprisonment. Benjamin Cox expressed the early particular Baptist views of both the importance of worship and the role of pastors in it when he wrote that pastors, quote, must be converted from unbelief and false worship. There wasn't a liturgical standard for particular Baptist worship as regulated in the state church or recommended at Westminster for the Presbyterian churches. But the elements of worship appear fairly uniform across the churches. They have been summarized as prayer, preaching, and the sacraments and those were considered the most important parts of worship. You can see the Reformed heritage of the particular Baptists in this. But of course, there were other elements and some variety in their use. Now let's step through the parts of public worship. Prayer often opened worship. Sometimes it was quite lengthy, taking up to 30 minutes. It was never written out or read, even in part. One of the reactions against the forced use of the Book of Common Prayer in worship was to completely eliminate any use of pre-written prayers. They were all extempore by the pastor. They do not seem to have even said the Lord's Prayer. The few reports we have of their actual contents include interceding for those in authority and for various needs of the congregation, especially the sick. Prayers would be made standing or kneeling. They included the congregation's sighs and groans in support of the pastor's words and ended with a united amen. 
These are examples of how particular Baptist worship seems to have been more congregational at points than the Presbyterian and independent kind. But it was the reading of Scripture and preaching that were the center of worship. Expositional preaching seems to have been the most common type, but topical and catechetical sermons are also recorded. Some of the early preachers, such as Benjamin Cox, Thomas Hardcastle, and Hansard Knowles, were university trained before coming to particular Baptist convictions. So they had the ability to study the scriptures in the original languages and presumably preached in a manner similar to other trained men. Later in the century, almost all of the preachers would have been self-trained, so I suspect there was more variety in preaching style. Some men preached in the dress of the clergy, the Geneva gown, while others wore nice but non-clerical clothing. Normally, the text was read and then expounded. The average sermon length may have been about 45 minutes, but it could also certainly be longer. There's one report of a London pastor who entered the pulpit regularly with an hourglass to use when he preached. One characteristic of particular Baptist preaching seems to be the regular inclusion of the gospel. This, of course, would not have been found in every state service. But since particular Baptists didn't believe all men were Christians because of their infant baptism, they knew the need for conversion and preached accordingly. Other times, pastors held lectures, which seemed to have been more weighted toward teaching than preaching. These were usually held during the week or other times on the Lord's Day besides public worship. They did evangelistic preaching also, sometimes making tours to preach, baptize, and gather disciples into churches. In the day, of course, deaths were quite common, and thus so were funeral sermons. Other special occasions, such as days of prayer and fasting or thanksgiving, also included preaching. This was done normally by the pastor, but in particular Baptist churches, other men were also called on to preach if the congregation recognized their gifts and approved of them. This use of unordained men was scandalous at the time, but supported by examples from Scripture. And so the practice was not only widespread, but even included in the 1689 Confession of Faith. Well, we'll continue looking at the other elements of public worship next time. Thank you for listening today. This is Ron the Baptist wishing you grace and peace. Thank you.